Hello there and welcome to the AYO podcast. My name's Katie and today I'm joined by my colleague Simon to discover a little more about our upcoming Chamber Players programme. I'm also very pleased to introduce our guest for today's podcast, renowned pianist, festival curator and AYO Chamber Players artistic director, Piers Lane. Thank you for joining us, Piers. Thank you, Katie. Lovely to be here. So we have some wonderful things lined up for AYO Chamber Players this year. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're most looking forward to in the programme? Well, generally, I programmed, you know, we've got four quartets, three piano trios and a wind quintet. And so I've given them each a classical sort of work, Mozart, Haydn, Schubert, Beethoven, Dancy in the case of the wind ensemble, and then a romantic or a 20th century work, um, quite big stuff ranging from Bartok III, mm. jolly hard piece, <laughs> um, to, I don't know, Puccini and, and Brahms and, um, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And, um, and with those works. I mean, some of the works, I'm going to play the Poulenc Sextet with the wind quintet. Well, that's a very core work for wind ensembles, but they may not have done it yet, you know, but it's a work all of those players will come across all of their lives. And we've got the Souvenir de Florence, that gorgeous thing by Tchaikovsky for six string players. And so there are some core works in that group as well. But the wind quintet, their their uh, 19th or 20th century piece will be by uh, Paul John, and so that's not at all normal. Many wind ensembles don't play that piece, but Bridget Bolliger, whom I asked to tutor the wind ensemble, has played that and loves it to bits, and so really wants to introduce it to the wind ensemble. So yeah, there's a pretty interesting mix, I think, of some Australian, some women composers, some rare works, and then core classical and romantic work. So I'm looking forward to the lot. <laughs> <laughs> we are too. <laughs> um, so from my research, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we've kind of got the idea that you're quite passionate about gaining global exposure for our young chamber musicians in Australia. And sure. so we were wondering why you think a program like this is so important to have in Australia and also why it's so great that the Australian Youth Orchestra is running AYO Chamber Players this year. Look, I think it's good for any orchestral players to play chamber music. I've sometimes had little residencies with, like for instance, the Tasmanian Symphony Orchestra where the principals played chamber music with me or with Howard Shelley. Um, and I think they find it really useful that they become a close-knit core and then when they're back in the orchestra, they communicate with each other between sections even better. Chamber music makes you listen more than probably when you're playing in an orchestra, you know, as part of a large section, the responsibility isn't quite so great on the individual and, and you depend on the conductor. Chamber music, you have to really all contribute and decide what's working or what's not working. You all have to listen. The chamber week for the AYO players is tricky because a lot of them, they know each other vaguely, socially, all might have played next to each other in the orchestra, but they don't, they've never worked as a, a specific chamber group before. And so it's tough to find a voice as a quartet <laughs> within a week, you know, pretty impossible. But with wonderful tutors to help them, the Tin Alley String Quartet will be there, and Liz Layton, uh, Caroline Henbest, all of these, Andrew Joyce, the principal cello of New Zealand Symphony, I really wanted to involve New Zealand as well, because I think there's not enough interchange between New Zealand and Australia generally. But to have those influences to help them find a voice very quickly, um, and during the week two, we will go to the Musica Viva concert on Thursday night, which is the Borodin String Quartet. 
and I've known them on and off for quite a long time too. And that's a quartet that has survived many decades, of course, with one or two changes of personnel. String quartets have eternal life, you know, <laughs> the name goes on forever, but the players sometimes change and the violist joined them quite late, lovely chap. So I hope that the young players will get a chance to meet them as well but as hear them. That's kind of a professional development session where do you hope they'll take away some things from that performance that they might Unquestionably. Put in their, their well, own they'll hear a very polished, finished performance that's been played in over many, many concerts. And so, yes, inevitably it will be of a very high level and hopefully very stimulating in that way. They'll go back with renewed vigour on Thursday <laughs> and Friday to... Um, and hopefully yeah. it will come across in their concert on Saturday. <laughs> That's right. We've got two concerts on the one day on Saturday. Yes. Um, sometimes they're spread out on the Friday night, but one of the internal staff concerts is on Friday night this time. So it's going to be a very big day Saturday, culmination of the week. I think it will be. Um, mm. We were going to ask you, actually, um, we wanted to know, obviously, you, you've had a flourishing career as a as a solo pianist and as a soloist with orchestra and as part of an ensemble but how did you initially get into chamber music because it's quite a niche thing to be into yeah I just always loved it I think it probably all started when I was a tiny boy my parents were both pianists and they met at the Royal College of Music in London mum and dad uh, brought me to Australia when I was five months old and I grew up in Brisbane and one of the treats of my childhood was when our aunts would visit or my grandparents would come from North Queensland you'd be usually be an occasion where mum and dad would play two pianos and it was delicious repertoire and we just loved hearing them play two pianos together. That's so great, so oh. at home, that's <laughs> at I home. mean that's where chamber music is from isn't it? That's you know? right, well mum used to play the violin too and just occasionally she and dad would play the spring sonata or something as well so I had it in the home. I was very lucky, and of course a lot of people don't. But then when I became a student at the Queensland Conservatorium of Music, I was really into playing with singers as well. I love words, and so I used to really enjoy playing for singers' lessons. That's something I did when I first went to London. Used to earn a princely sum of 15 pounds a day playing <laughs> for Eric Vatier's singing classes. And he originally was from Brisbane, um, but he was the other half of Geoffrey Parsons. And so I met and played for the most extraordinary names in the singing world either having lessons from Eric or rehearsing with Jeffrey downstairs and, and then you'd have lunch together and that <laughs> sort of thing. Uh, that was an extraordinary household and many Australian singers and other pianists were touched by that experience as well. And um, I've had, you know, string partners forever. Tasman Little, the British violinist, is coming out here in the last two weeks of October and we're doing a tour together in Australia. Well, we've played together 31 years now. Um, I think you inevitably learn an awful lot from other people. And you learn more by performing and by playing than you do from any teacher too. You know, you find what works and you find what an audience responds to and how an audience makes you feel and how an acoustic makes you feel and different playing situations, different pianos for a pianist, of course. I'm always envious of violinists and wind players who can keep practicing <laughs> right up to the last gasp. Carry it round yeah, with them. Yeah, that's right. They can be playing just before they go on stage and often pianists can't. It's, um, it's one of the, our plights. <laughs> but, um, but certainly you learn an awful lot playing with other people. We were going to ask you about the future of chamber music, but I know that we also have a newly commissioned work that yes. is by a young composer. And I think, Katie, you were going to ask a little bit more about that. But that kind of rolls into the future of chamber music and I guess eventually towards the end of this we were going to ask you know do you see a future for chamber music do you think obviously it's vital for training but also performances I think there's going to be more and more there is more and more I mean look at Melbourne now since the recital centre went up Melbourne is the centre of chamber music in a way in Australia isn't it it's just non-stop 
um, so many concerts, but everywhere. And I think more and more, no place feels complete without a little music festival now. And the basis of those festivals is chamber music, you know, winery concerts and that sort of thing. And there are festivals sprung up all around Australia. And, and it's all based on chamber music. I think the future of chamber music is really big. What would you say about um, new compositions, you know, commissions and things for small chamber groups? Do you so think, have, have you seen a, an increase in those of recent yeah. years? Yeah, it's, it's less expensive than commissioning a concerto, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. And, um, yeah, there's, there's more and more demand. I mean, wonderful groups like um, the one that Monica Curo has with, with piano with Stefan Kasaminos and and clarinet and plexus. They've commissioned something like 300 works already. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow, um, that's a huge that's amount. Yeah, absolutely, it's fantastic. There's a lot of people wanting to write for interesting combinations. Yeah, people, a lot of Australian composers are writing string quartets. Yeah, that's for good. People like the Dolmers and the Tonellis and, and the Australia String Quartet, that's fantastic. Obviously they can travel anywhere. Well, there you go. Those works. Is there anything else that you would like, say, audiences to know about this program and what they can expect when they come to the concerts this weekend? Well, I think there, there will be a combination of complete works and parts of works. I'm going to leave it up to the tutors of each ensemble to say which parts of the works that they're studying, mainly, they, they would like them to present publicly. Because some of the works, are, uh, it's a lot to cope with in a week, three major works at least. And... Um, We'll see. There, there may be occasions where you just have one or two works out of a, a Beethoven quartet instead of a whole lot or whatever. That will remain to be seen. <laughs> it will. <laughs> it'll surprise <laughs> for the end of the week. Well, on that note, um, we're definitely looking forward to the two concerts at 3pm um, and 7pm this coming Saturday, the 29th of September at Elza Hall at the University of Adelaide. Um, but what's more exciting is that both of the performances are, of course, free admission. So if you're looking to immerse yourself in classical music this weekend, please do come along and join us. 